0: Hello and welcome to Guardian Daily on Friday the 27th of November. I'm John Henley. Today, as the government vows to keep and indeed expand the DNA database, we ask, is it a justifiable means to combat crime, or a step too far towards a Big Brother state? This week, a report by the Human Genetics Commission, Nothing to Hide, Nothing to Fear, claimed that as many as three-quarters of young black men are already on the database. We'll hear from one of the authors of the report.
1: There have been, I think, a number of voices that have raised serious concerns about, in a sense, the discriminatory effect of arresting practices and therefore of the National DNA Database.
0: We'll hear what people on the streets of London think.
2: Well, I feel that people who get arrested should go on the DNA database just in case they do a crime.
0: And from a forensic scientist on just how reliable DNA evidence really is.
2: There there is no evidence where there is no possibility of a mistake. All evidence has to be interpreted carefully and within context.
1: Guardian Daily from guardian.co.uk
0: well, with me to discuss all this, with nothing to hide and nothing to fear, obviously, uh, are The Guardian's Legal Affairs Editor, Afua Hirsch. Hello. Hi. And uh, someone who's followed every twist and turn of this debate for The Guardian, Home Affairs Editor, Alan Travis. Hello there. to you. Um, before we get into the debate, though, um, let's hear from Professor Sarah Cunningham-Burley of the Human Genetics Commission, whose report this week suggested, among other things, that police were now routinely arresting suspects in order to store their DNA. I asked her first exactly what evidence she had for that claim. Our report
1: was born out of concerns that a range of UK citizens expressed uh, through two methods. One, we actually had a citizen's inquiry which involved a small group of citizens in different parts of the UK um, deliberating over a period of time about the National DNA Database, but we also held a consultation so people could um, write in comments about the um, database and um, one of those comments related to policing practices, so our whole report doesn't... um, doesn't suggest this, but a part of the evidence that we collected for our report um, made reference to um, police um, arresting practices. Police powers are such that one can arrest people for a range of recordable offences, as you'll know, Mm. and therefore DNA can be be taken. And so um, we would want to look at that in more detail. Right. But we
0: don't know at the moment how widespread that is as a a practice. No.
1: and And it's at one level quite hard to establish. Um, but we also do know that the database has expanded um, and therefore you know, more arrestees are um, DNA is held on the database.
0: And, and there's another, another claim in the report in the foreword um, suggests that, I mean, really alarmingly that as many as three quarters of young black men may now be on the national DNA database. Is, I mean, is that a reliable estimate? Well it comes from a
1: report by the um, Equality and Human Rights Commission and there have been I think a number of voices that have raised serious concerns about, in a sense, the discriminatory effect of arresting practices and therefore of the National DNA Database. So those two things obviously are related. So I think that that I think there's kind of widespread recognition that there's concern here that um, uh, something something is going on that uh, brings more young men, young black men into contact with the police.
0: That was Professor Sarah Cunningham Burley of the Human Genetics Commission. We asked the Association of Chief Police Officers for a response, but no one was available for interview. They did, however, give us this
3: statement. DNA evidence has helped to solve numerous crimes, as well as bringing offenders to justice. But the police service recognise its use must be reasonable and retain the support of the public. The suggestion that using the powers of arrest to obtain DNA has become routine policy is plainly wrong. The law around powers of arrest is very clear. Taking a person's liberty away through arrest is a hugely significant step, and it's crucial that the police service acts only according to necessity
0: and is proportionate when doing so. Now, Alan, you reported on this story. Can you fill us in a little bit on the Background to the database, first of all?
3: Well, it's the database has never actually been uh, approved by a single Act of Parliament. The parliament's never debated whether the database should be set up, what it should be used for, what its purposes are. It kind of grew up over the last uh, five or six years with advances in DNA forensic science and started off really being a tool for the police to confirm the circumstantial evidence and suspicions they may have, i.e., it was an add on rather than being a, a key of detection. It's become transformed though, uh, now five million strong and perhaps often used as a way of identifying key suspects in a case. And Perhaps the key way to look at uh, the way it's developed is the change in criminological thinking and politicians' thinking about criminology which was typified by uh, some studies that uh, Tony Blair asked John Burt to do when he was his crime advisor at Downing Street and John Burt came up, strongly endorsed the theory that there were 100,000 key active career criminal in the country who are responsible for about 50% of all crime, repeat, repeat offenders. And if you could identify them and keep track of them, then you could do an awful lot to bring down crime in this country. And the expansion of the database matched that kind of theory that what was started off being a database of offenders has gradually become a database of suspects and that extension of that repeat repeated offender theory became well if you can start tracking them before they actually commit an offence start looking at children and younger who start having antisocial behaviour problems and so on and tracking them through the system and trying to bring uh, tackle the causes of their offending and track them this way then you you start creating a useful database and Afwa, what did you think of the of the commission's report
4: well i just want to build on what alan said because i think it actually goes even further than that. And um, and that's what the, the, the report brings out as well, that initially DNA was a means of ruling people out. It's not that when you use DNA evidence, you get a magic hit that tells you who your suspect is or who the guilty person is. It's that you can rule out that somebody isn't a suspect because their DNA doesn't match. That's the original use. And so not, not only has the scope of the database expanded, but its function has expanded as well. And that throws up a, another important point, which is that it's not A guaranteed way of solving crime. It plays a role, as Alan said, alongside other means of investigating. And if you actually talk to officers and detectives, they all say this is a useful tool for us, but in conjunction with good old fashioned investigating. Um, and, And the danger is that if you have this ever expanding database, it shifts attention away from other means of solving crime. And there really is no substitute for those.
0: Well, early today, I took to the streets to hear what the people in London made of all this. Well,
2: I feel that people who get arrested should go on the DNA database just in case they do a crime. For example, if someone didn't do a crime, they shouldn't be on it sort of thing, but yeah.
0: And you're really, you're, you're, you're happy with the idea that, you know, three quarters of, of young black guys in, in Britain are on the <laughs> database?
2: Well, I'm not happy, but it is what it is, you can't change it. So.
0: Um, well, personally, I feel that only people that need to be threatened by the DNA
1: database are the people committing the crimes, so I'm not... You know, anti the idea of there uh,
0: being a DNA database personally. So the idea itself is a good thing, but what what kind of people do you think should be on it? I think uh, you have to have like an all or nothing situation. I don't think it's fair to keep the records of people that have, haven't been, you know, found guilty of a crime and then not have everyone on it.
1: I think either you need a full database of everyone in the country or just literally having people that have been convicted. Well, to make it fair, I think everyone should be on it because it's you can't just like like pick out certain people out of a group and then like because then some people might take that the
0: wrong way. Yeah. I mean it's an interesting question because there was a, there was a report out a couple of days ago saying suggesting for example that like the police were you know arresting people specifically in order to put them on the database and as a result of that you know there were certain populations were were very yeah, unfairly you know, that's what i mean like if you're going to you can't pick up certain
1: people just like profiling them and then just assume that they they're the ones causing the trouble. So it's better if everyone's on the system that way. Like, you can pick the actual criminals and, like, misbehaviour and stuff like that. I don't understand why they should have it unless somebody has uh, got himself into, or herself into some trouble and something has to be tested. Why should it be a routine matter? I can't understand that.
0: Do you think it's a good idea? Do we need a DNA database?
1: Um, I'm not sure if we need one, but I'm not too... I don't really think that it's a bad idea if they do have one. And I think they should pretty much have everyone on there because it shouldn't be, like, discriminating against one type of person to different yes you probably do need one but only criminals should be on it persons who have been convicted of a crime
0: and what do you think of the the police practice there was a report a couple of days ago suggesting yeah. that you know police were arresting people deliberately yes. in order to get them onto the dna database and for example that, that meant that up to 3 quarters of young black men yes. were on the were on the database well, how do you how do you feel about that Yes, as, as in
1: I think that that's wrong. As in, you know, and only one tenth, I think they said, of um, white young males were on, were on the database as well. So yes, I, I think that that's that that's wrong.
0: What is there? Is it? Would a possible solution be for for simply for everybody to be on it? Would you be opposed to that? Yes, I would be opposed to that. Um, I think that that goes against privacy. Well, I did find one dissenter in the end. But most people I spoke to were not opposed to everyone being on the database. That's one of the issues, isn't it? Afua critics say that one of the main problems with the database simply is the fact that it's so arbitrary. The chances of getting a match basically depend on whether or not someone has been arrested or not. And we know that certain kinds of people are more likely to be arrested than others and not necessarily for the right reasons. So how about this idea of a universal database then, one on which everyone's DNA is recorded regardless of arrests or convictions?
4: Well I think it's important to separate the two different issues out here. One of them is the issue about discrimination. And one of them is the issue about privacy. It's interesting that in the people you spoke to, discrimination came up so much. And what people obviously feel is it's unfair to have some people on it just because they've been arrested. They might never have been convicted of any offence. And some people aren't. It almost creates a whole new category of person. You've got innocent people who've never been convicted of a crime. You've got guilty people who have been convicted. And then all the people in between who are arrested and who end up on the database. And there's obviously a strong feeling that's unfair one way of solving that problem is just to put everyone on it. But that creates a new problem, which is the problem of privacy. And I think that there's a question of principle here. Should innocent people have their DNA on a database which evolved as a means of solving crime? That sends a message that everybody is a potential suspect. I think that message is damaging in itself. And if you think about other examples, um, there are lots of ways you could help solve crime. For example, everybody could be tagged. You could track everybody. You could have a CCTV camera outside everybody's house. There's no doubt that would help solve crime, but we all have an intuitive reaction against that because it's contrary to our values of privacy. I think there's a similar issue about the DNA database, that it might help solve crime if everyone were on it, but does the extent to which it helps solve crime weigh up against the Mm. damage it does to privacy? Is
0: there any evidence at all, Alan, that, that keeping the DNA of innocent, in other words, un- unconvicted people, people yes. has helped to sell to, to solve some crimes.
3: Yeah, I would take a less, uh, I strike a slightly different balance, I think, to AFWA. I think the problem with the universal database, uh, a lot of them are practical problems, which you start thinking about the cost first of all, uh, of having 60 million uh, profiles on, on the database and the kind of security implications of that, of data losses and what that would mean, seeing some terrible data losses in the last two or three years. Secondly, the whole question of, uh, you know, we, are not, we may be an island, but uh, we're not... We're (laughs) we're not unique in that on the planet you'd have to have a planetary database in one sense to have everybody all visitors would have to to britain would have to be have a dna profile as well for that to remain fair in that sense but I think that the one of the problems is why we have the biggest database, DNA database, of any country is because we include, in England and Wales, all kinds of offences, arrested for any kind of offences at all. So huge volume of minor offences for which people arrested end up with DNA profiles on the database.
0: What kind of, I mean, kind of offences do Any happen?
3: arrestable offence, which now I think uh, littering was made in an arrestable offence about two years ago. Uh, so practically any any uh, in the most minor kind of... So you uh, could, in
0: theory, have your DNA
3: profile taken, taken, taken if yeah. you've dropped something. Thing. Not
4: just in theory. I mean, there are oh, people on yeah. the database for, for offences just like that.
3: You know, I think, though, that the there is criminological evidence about whether a higher proportion of people arrested for certain offences are more likely to be arrested again and found guilty and convicted of those offences in the future. I think there probably is a heightened incidence of that. And specifically, sickly for serious violent and sexual offences. I think someone who has been arrested on rape charges in the past but uh, the charges were dropped, we know there's a very high attrition rate in rape cases and cases not discontinued. Uh, if those persons were not were not, were not not charged, charges weren't pressed, I think I would, on balance, rather see those that DNA uh, profile retained. And for serious sexual and violent offences, I think there should be a period. I wouldn't go as far as the government proposing six years, a Scottish example of two years, plus possibly another three years reviewed by Judge seems good to me, but it would drastically reduce the size of the database to only retain the profiles of those who have been arrested in those circumstances. Because there, to there
4: say is. I, I disagree with Alan on that point because um, I don't think that it's justifiable to put people who are arrested, even for a serious offence and never convicted, to keep them on the database. And, and there are two reasons for that. The reason that I, I feel that way we know that people arrested for serious offences do later sometimes go on and and commit and be convicted of serious offences. But what we don't know is whether having their profile on the DNA database makes the difference in convicting them of that later offence.
0: Because there is one, I mean, there's one estimate here that, The that that DNA from innocent people on the national database um, probably helped solve 114 murders, 55 attempted murders, 116 rapes, 119 aggravated burglaries, etc. I mean,
4: well, it's it's the probably if you dissect what that means, and when the case which caused the government to have to review the DNA database in the European Court of Human Rights was in the House of Lords before that, and the House of Lords took those kind of statistics very seriously. And they were very impressed by the fact that these murders and rapes had apparently been solved because of the DNA database. Actually, when that case was analysed in Europe, it turned out that those statistics are not as robust as they sound.
0: Okay, so I mean, how much do the courts actually rely then on evidence, DNA evidence and and the database, obviously, from which it comes?
4: Well, It plays a role increasingly in serious offences. But one of the problems, again, is that it's often quite complex. You often need expert evidence. Um, You rarely get this wonderful match of DNA evidence. It's often weak, it has to be concentrated, and then it has to be explained to a jury in in serious criminal trials. And um, uh, many lawyers feel uncomfortable about the reliance that's that's being placed on this evidence, because um, we live in a culture where um, TV and film are often depicting DNA and forensic evidence as this magic bullet, where you kind of get a you get a hit and it shows you who the guilty person is. In reality, it's not like that. Um, it's never that clear cut. And so the reliance of it in cases has caused miscarriages of justice. And that's the other side to the figures that you just mentioned, the number of people who've been wrongly convicted because of DNA evidence. And there have been some quite high profile cases of those as well.
0: Well, you mentioned, Afwa, that um, we do live in a, in a culture that promotes DNA as the, uh, the magic bullet. It's absolutely true. Programs like CSI, Crime Scene Investigates and so on, have promoted DNA evidence really as the trump card in any policeman's hand. But how reliable is it? Here's Professor Jim Fraser, Director of the University of Strathclyde's Centre for Forensic Science.
2: The routine DNA evidence which is used, which is called SGM Plus in the UK, is very accurate and very reliable. It is fairly standard science. In fact, it's it's almost quite old science now. It's been around for about 10 to 15 years, the principles of it. And it is amongst the most reliable forensic techniques used and amongst the best evidence to go into the criminal justice system.
0: Does that mean that there is, there is no possibility, for example, of, of mistaken identity?
2: No, there, there is no evidence where there is no possibility of a mistake. All evidence has to be interpreted carefully and within context. And we know, for example, that there have been isolated cases in the past where there have been mistaken identities. The important thing is, is to be conscious that these are uh, uh, tiny numbers, And they are guarded against by reviewing the evidence in the context of the case. Mm -hmm. So, for example, simply because DNA matches an individual on the face of it, one cannot assume that it has come from that individual, or worse still, that that individual is guilty of an offence. You must review that evidence in the context of the case. It may well be that that is a chance match, although these things are extraordinarily rare. And the way you find that out is by doing some uh, routine police work and establishing that that person was there at the time that the offence could have been committed. Okay,
0: and and how do I mean, how do the mechanics of of, the, of an actual DNA database work
4: then?
2: Well, the database relies on two separate sets of information: information coming from crimes or incidents, and information coming from offenders. So, people who are arrested or convicted of crimes, depending on the particular circumstance uh, well, people who are arrested on convicted of crimes, let's keep it nice and simple, mm-hmm. um, are likely to have their DNA sample taken. That is then stored as a subject sample on the National DNA Database. At the same time, crimes that are, have been committed, um, such as burglaries, stolen cars, but also serious crimes such as homicides, material will be recovered from them, which is subsequently analysed. DNA profiles are found and they are then put on the database as well.
0: And if there's a match?
2: Every day the database compares every single profile with every other single profile. And if a match comes up, hmm. then, you can then that is then double-checked, um, goes through various quality assurance processes and then will be declared to the police as, a, as matching DNA. And then we go back to the process that we were describing before. The police will then take that and, and investigate the significance of that match.
0: That was Professor Jim Fraser of the University of Strathclyde. The Home Secretary, Alan Johnson, he defended the database quite forcefully in the comment pages of The Guardian this week, Alan. And he yes. cited the case of Sally Ann Bowman as one which couldn't have been solved without it. I mean, he's right on that count, isn't
3: he? I, well, he probably isn't. I, I don't know the details of that particular use of DNA evidence, but he's probably right. There are always two or three cases which are always cited. The same two and three cases come up again and again in the debate. I think the question partly is, one, would identity have been resolved by other other means in that, in that case and those other cases that are cited? We're never given a full narrative of, uh, of that or the other possibilities. The police may have done so anyway. But I think, in defending uh, the database, I mean the governments already made a one major climb down when they couldn 't they tried initially to. Get retention for up to twelve years, which they pulled uh, three or four weeks ago because so they couldn't get it through the House of Lords, and the end of the parliamentary year was looming large. They've come back with a set of proposals revised for a maximum now of six years. I think it will dominate and be one of the biggest civil liberty uh, arguments that goes on between now and the general election.
0: After I mean, critics of uh, of the database say that because of the because the government now now intends then to keep DNA. Of, of people who've arrested, but not been arrested, but not necessarily convicted for, for six years, um, that that effectively reverses the presumption of innocence. What is, how do you feel on that?
4: I do. I think that's, for me, the problem with keeping the, the profiles of people who are never convicted, because um, it's more symbolic than anything else. And this, this whole debate is a, a question of weighing the advantages in solving crime against the implications for the presumption of innocence and for privacy. And I, my personal view is, um, is that that's true. If you have not been convicted of a crime, you're innocent. Why should your DNA be kept on a database the purpose of which is solving future crime? The underlying presumption is your arrest makes you likely or more likely at some point to be arrested for another offence and ultimately convicted. And I think that is a very dangerous message to send. And I think the statistics about young black men being overrepresented, um, although there are still questions about the 75% in this report, it's long been documented that black people are overrepresented on the database I don't think that's disputed.
0: So our conclusion I suppose then Alan is I mean database yes DNA database can certainly be a very useful tool but we need to look a lot more carefully at what its effects may be and on precisely how it's being used.
3: Well I think the Human Genetics Commission got it right in saying that there need to be well first of all a clear statutory basis of it there needs to be some independent oversight about it which also contains safeguards about access to it and the integrity of it. I think it needs to be much more smaller. I think its purpose needs to be much more carefully and closely defined. And I think that it needs to be removed from kind of being part of the apparatus of the surveillance state into being the, the, the very precise forensic tool. It's, it's obviously, it's supposed to be.
0: Yeah. OK, Alan Afua, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Um, that's it for me. The Guardian Daily was produced by Phil Maynard. I'm John Henley, and thanks for listening